Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening! Now, on to the episode. Season 2, Episode 17, Passion. We should just jump right into the episode. <laughs> do you want to do some opening narration first? Because that, that was a change, right? Like, yeah. we haven't seen this type of opening before. Yeah, yeah. Did you like it? Not really. <laughs> um, I think yeah. it's an interesting choice. I, I think it's... We kind of mentioned this in the last episode when we were talking um, about Lisa's hot stake of Angelus being a predator, right? And mm. that's what this episode is trying to establish. He's toying with Buffy. Everything he does in this episode is to torture Buffy. Like, even ultimately the violence that he visits upon others in this episode, even what he does that hurts Giles, he doesn't care about Giles. Like, what grabs me about this episode? This is such a monumental episode in this Mm -hmm. series. You know, as much as Angel, as much as Surprise and Innocence and Prophecy Girl, is this the best episode of season two? Probably not. We'll see. We'll, we'll, there's a few more <laughs> to come that are, are in the running. But regardless of how you rank passion amongst the various Buffy episodes, as a, a, a standalone story, this is brilliant. And this is a an episode in particular where I really was paying attention to the camera work and to the way that the scenes were shot, the way they were set up the different angles that were being used because they do such a good job of telling the story visually in this episode. So that's something I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of going to point out as we go along with this. Yeah, this episode does such a great job of building tension too. Like I was tense mm-hmm. while watching this episode. And yeah, it's. I like that you said it's monumentous because it really is. This is an episode that stands out for a big reason. So let's get into it. Like we said, we start off with Angelus giving a narration <laughs> at the beginning of the episode. And I, I wonder if this is to put us in his perspective for a second or like why, like once again, like why do you think we're getting his overview? He's being interviewed by Christian Slater. <laughs> interview with Angelus. I'd watch that. I would watch it. Uh, But we open the episode on the bronze, lots of dancing couples. And the strangest thing of all, the strangest thing is that Xander and Buffy are dancing together on the dance floor. Cordy and Willow are nearby talking to each other at a table, like very animately, by the way. But yeah, like Buffy and Xander are having like a nice like ruler with the part friend dance together you know like there's enough room for jesus in there it's not like sexual like it was at the beginning of the season but it's so weird that they're just there dancing and angel is there in the background of the bronze watching this happen and he's saying passion it lies in all of us sleeping waiting and though unwanted unbidden it will stir open its jaws and howl (laughs) 
The gang all leave the club. They're looking really happy and carefree together. And Angelus is literally murdering a girl like right in front of them, but they don't notice because they're they're in merriment. So I think what this is meant to symbolize is how in Sunnydale, this is a town steeped in supernatural evil. And Buffy spends a significant portion of her time dedicated to fighting evil. And what we are seeing, because the show is granting us that rare glimpse into Angelus's perspective of life in Sunnydale, we are seeing how much more evil happens that even the Slayer is oblivious to. There, there's just no way, like even if Buffy were the full-time Slayer, 24-7, never slept, there's no way she'd be able to keep up with everything that was going on in Sunnydale. Mm-hmm. And and so this is the episode reminding us that, you know, we we are privileged as viewers to see Buffy fighting evil, but that's really the tip of the iceberg. She is really, if anything, just stemming that tide. And there's so much more going on that we just don't see every week. Yeah. And it's so unfair that there's only one Slayer to each generation. <laughs> like... Exactly. There's definitely not any other Slayers at all, ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where, where's Kendra? Why isn't Kendra living in Sunnydale? <laughs> well, I, that's the thing, right? Is It's like Ken, when Kendra showed up and what's my line, it was because her watcher had said there's a great evil rising. And it was pretty obviously Angelus that they were referring to. And now that Angelus is actually here... Like, Nowhere to don't be you seen. think that was the first thing they should do is pick up the phone and be like can you send kendra back and maybe on like a proper flight this time <laughs> and also yeah like she didn't fulfill her duty last time unless like the the big evil she thought was rising was spike and drusilla or the judge like i think what... that's what we were supposed to think at the time with what's my line but i'm i i'm pretty sure in retrospect that they were talking about angelus because it oh. seems like Angelus's rise was faded, right? Because mm-hmm. Jenny's uncle and the elder knew it as well. Like, it seems like all the powers, like even Drusilla, right? I think she understood that something big was happening beyond her and Spike. True. And even how quickly Buffy and Angel fell in love. Like, it's just destiny, you people. Like, this is just like meant to be. So, Buffy is getting ready for bed. She looks outside her window briefly, but nothing's there. So she goes to sleep. But that's when we pan over. We see that Angelus is actually watching her from the window. Super creepy. Eat your heart out, Edward Cullen. Yeah, Edward fucking wishes. And like Buffy compared to Bella Swan. It's like, (laughs) come on, come on. So. Uh, suddenly Angelus is in Buffy's room stroking her face while she's sleeping and once again we hear Angelus speak over top of the scene and he says it speaks to us guides us passion rules us all and we obey what other choice do we have cut to credits my question for you Kara is are you a sound sleeper or would Angelus stroking your face at night wake you up (laughs) uh I'm a pretty heavy sleeper um when I'm close to being awake like if i'm just about to wake up or if i'm just falling asleep then yes that would probably wake me up (laughs) good to know so i won't do that to you (laughs) thank you (laughs) so in the morning buffy wakes up and there is an envelope on her bedside table she opens it up and it's a sketch of her sleeping so angelus not only stroked her face all night but he also has been taking art classes uh late night 
sketch classes, tutorials, and he's been sketching. He's pretty good, too. I think we knew that Angel could draw before this. Didn't he draw in a previous episode? Um, <laughs> We made a joke one time that he drew the master for Buffy. <laughs> so yeah. she'd know what he looked like. But no, he's got he had artwork in his apartment for sure yeah well yeah. and I, I think there was a picture or something that Buffy saw yeah maybe it was in his apartment I, I can't remember the details but I, I think the show had already established that drawing was a talent that Angel had and I mean it makes sense right if you're a 200 year old vampire you have a lot of time to hone those kinds of skills <laughs> yeah and I kind of love this for him and I always love that about Angel is that he's like a talented artist I'm like ooh, ooh, yeah. ooh. so in the library Buffy is telling Giles that Angel was in her room last night and he left a picture of her behind Cordy and Xander are also in there and Cordy says I thought vampires can't go inside unless you invite them in and Giles reinforces the idea that once they're invited in they're always welcome and Xander says this is a lesson for you gals about inviting strange men into your bedroom. Fuck off, Xander. Hey, Xander, guess what? The only guy who has violated Buffy in her bedroom before last night was you. <laughs> you yeah. were the one that watched her change without her knowledge. So I'm pretty sure you should just shut the fuck up now. You know? This is textbook victim blaming, right? You shouldn't have let him in. Not... <laughs> It, oh, it's terrible that an abusive person who also happens to be a vampire uh, was in your room. It's, well, you know, this is what you get, Buffy, you whore. Ugh, and, and I don't think it's missed by anyone that this patriarchal metaphor that once you let the guy in, he can get in whenever he wants is like yeah. missed by us. Like we see it. We don't like it. I really can't with a lot of Xander in this episode. I can't with Xander yeah. usually, but like that starts it off like, with this. <laughs> There, there's so much about this episode that is a clear and unsubtle parallel with abusive relationships, especially young women in abusive relationships with older men. Um, and I can only imagine how triggering that might be for some of our listeners. So I hope mm -hmm. y'all, y'all are taking care of yourselves. But, you know, this episode, I think, really hits hard in terms of the powerlessness and the desire to empower oneself against one's abuser that one can feel because of those emotions that are tangled up in the abuse, right? That that victim blaming and that sense of like, well, I let this happen. And that's not true at all. But it is something that our society often tells survivors of abuse, even unintentionally. I just wanted to, because we're going to get into it later on. And I'm like, I should probably acknowledge up front, like, this is heavy. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, let's lean into the Xander slander while we can, because it actually brings us a bit of joy to yell at him. So Cordelia gets worried that she invited Angel into her car once, which means that he could go in her car whenever he wants. Oh, no. <laughs> and OK, they're using Cordelia as a very clear comic relief tool in this episode but i do personally think that they miswrote cordelia and i've been nothing but a cordelian champion this entire series but i do think she was unnecessarily ditzy in this episode yeah i just think they missed the mark with her writing for whatever reason they needed her to be funny they needed her to stick to this car joke and um i didn't appreciate it <laughs> i agree with you for the most part i think mm -hmm. the writers had a tough time deciding how to use cordelia because she has served different roles in the past, especially with regards to Angel. Remember how long it took Cordelia to find out that Angel's a vampire? So yep. 
and and she has only very recently really become uh, a core part of the Scoobies. So I, I think this is just a case of the writers had so much going on already, especially because of Jenny's prominent role in this episode. They didn't really seem to know what to do with Cordelia, except they knew that they needed her around to do things like drive the rest of the, the Scoobies around. <laughs> I would be interested to know if there were other lines from Cordelia that got cut either before or after they were shot. Cause I feel like, I feel like there was a little bit more going on with her and we just never, it just never made it into the episode. Okay. I like that take because I just, her whole joke and her whole storyline this episode is about her car. So Buffy yeah. says that there should be a barrier spell that could reverse the invitation right for vampires. And finally, Kara, they're finally talking about how dangerous Angelus is because he can come into their houses. You and I have been bringing this up for two episodes now where we're like, aren't you guys a little bit worried <laughs> that this mass murderer can just enter whenever he wants? So this is when two students, one is Jonathan, the little guy from earlier this season. He comes in looking for books on Stalin. How dare he look for books in a library? I know. And Xander like, is literally so rude to them. Like, do you mind? And Giles reminds him, this is a library where any student could come in and spend time. And I think we as viewers forget this because we've been using the library as like their little war room. But it well, is. And also, like these days... <laughs> That's not how you do research in school. So I'm sure our younger listeners are just like, yeah, like I've barely ever used a book in my school library. (laughs) Well, yeah, I just I think this is a clever little, you know, joke that the writers put in this episode to be like, yeah, we know that, you know, they use this library very much for their own like fighting evil (laughs) means. What I love is that, you know, uh, Jonathan and the student accompanying him go up into the stacks and then, like, the rest, like, um, Buffy, Xander, Cordelia, and Giles leave the library, including Giles. So we've got Giles basically blowing off his job to hang out with students. Even though he just reiterated that it is actually a functioning school library, <laughs> he cares more to talk to Buffy about, I guess, her important problems than to actually do his day job as a school librarian. I, I just, I think it's funny. And I think, just like we were talking about with Cordy, that was another layer of comic relief. And I suspect the writers are being very deliberate in front-loading this episode with quite a fair amount of comic relief. We're going to see more in, in the next couple of scenes. They're preparing us for what's to come because this episode is going to pull the rug out from under us. Mm-hmm. And then once we stand up again, it's going to punch us in the gut. So enjoy <laughs> it and laugh while you can. It's true. Get it all out now, people. So when they're in the hallway, Giles is saying that Angel has decided to step up his harassment. And Cordelia says, why doesn't he just slit Buffy's throat or strangle her while she's sleeping or cut her heart out? And Cordelia is genuinely just trying to help, right? Like she's saying these horrible, awful things, but she's like, well, why doesn't he just do that? I don't understand. And Giles says it's a battle strategy to throw the component off her game. He's trying to provoke you, Buffy. He's trying to taunt you so you'll make a mishap. And Buffy brings up that Angel told her that he was obsessed with Drusilla. And the first thing he did was kill Drusilla's family. So again, like finally, you guys are cluing in that this is a big deal. They realize that Joyce is in danger, finally. And they're all in danger. But like Joyce is like the vulnerable people who don't know anything about him are especially in danger. So 
Buffy says that she'll have to tell her mom something, and Giles is very adamant that it not be the truth. And then Xander says something about it, like, cheapening the secret for the rest of them. And once again, Xander, you can fuck all the way (laughs) off. Because we don't need this from you. I agree with Giles. I think it's a bad idea to tell Joyce the truth. But... Xander, your opinion is not wanted here. No, you've already revoked your right to speak with the very first thing that you said in this episode. So we're done with you already. Buffy is freaking out. She says, Angel has a full access to pass to my house and I can't protect my mom. Keep it, Buffy. Your mom goes other places than the house. So it's not just Mm -hmm. like the house that you need to protect. It's not just... You know, Cordelia's car, which is played off for laughs, but it's it's actually true. It's not just the house. The ho- Like, your mom doesn't just exist in your house. What about your mom at work? What about when she's traveling from work to home? What about the grocery store? Mm-hmm. We already know from this episode that An- Angelus can go inside the school, that he can go into stores, that he can be at the bronze. So, like, you guys are finally kind of grasping how serious Angelus is, <laughs> how serious mm-hmm. this danger is. I'm letting it out because it's been two full episodes since we've seen Angelus come out that I'm like, you guys are in danger. (laughs) Look alive. So Giles says that he'll find a spell and says that you need to stay level headed, Buffy. Buffy, you're the slayer. And Buffy's like, yeah, but you don't have Angel lurking around in your bedroom at night. Hmm, hmm, hmm. And Giles says she doesn't have the luxury of being a slave to her passions. She can't let Angel get to her no matter how provocative his behavior may become. And Buffy says, so I just ignore him and he'll go away? And Giles is like, precisely. And I was like, Giles, that's terrible advice. It's terrible. Like, Giles, who has studied Angel more than anybody else in this group, should not be telling Buffy to ignore him. This, especially like the way you bring it up, but just more generally, right? Like, This is the advice that people, especially men in positions of authority, give people, especially women, who are enduring abuse from a partner. They're just like, just ignore him. You know, don't don't let him in. Don't provoke him. Right. Just ignore him. He'll he'll go away. And it's Mm -hmm. such harmful advice because it is another form of victim blaming. Right. It's saying you are provoking this somehow. And if you are meek enough, if you're a quiet enough woman, then, you know, the men in the patriarchy will leave you alone. And Giles probably doesn't see it this way because that's his internalized misogyny, right? That's the effect of the patriarchy is, you know, Giles sees himself as this wise protector and he's just telling Buffy what he thinks is best for her. But yeah. Giles, your advice sucks. Do better. <laughs> well, I think it's co- it's interesting too because you're coming at it like this is the relationship that Buffy has with her ex that's really toxic and, and dangerous and Giles is, you know, saying, well, just ignore him. But at the same time, like we have been talking a lot this season about how the patriarchy and the Watcher's Council, how those coincide mm-hmm. and how those come together to manage the slayers don't lean into your emotions go by the book do everything we say you know and buffy has always been against that so i can't see her taking his advice i mean the watchers would probably say like you should be used as bait (laughs) yeah just leave the doors open make it a little bit easier for him who knows what will happen yeah so 
We cut to Jenny's computer class. Uh, everyone's leaving, but she calls Willow to the front and says, I'm going to be late tomorrow. Do you mind covering my class uh, until oh my she can show up? And this, I'm sure this happens. You do this to your students in grade 11 all the time, I'm sure. You're just like, you know what? I'm going to be a little bit late. Do you mind covering for me? <laughs> Asking a student to take over your class without another teacher present that's not a good move, Jenny. Very risky. There's so many problems with that. Yeah. But I mean, Willow's ecstatic. Like Willow's elated True. by this news. She's well, like she shows a little bit of nerves too. And like she worries a little bit, but she's also like super, like she almost gets power hungry right away about it. And I thought this was so cute and interesting because I've said in the past that Willow, when she has an opportunity to show off her talent or her skill set, that is different and elite to the people around her, She she's happy to do it and she'll go out of her way to do it. So this is catering to that instinct in her. But at the same time, her being, you know, a little more nervous and worried about what could go wrong, that also played into there too. So that's a balance between those two sides of her personality. And I really liked this little moment for her. Mm hmm. So that's when Buffy and Giles come to the door and Jenny greets them and Buffy ignores her and just says, come on, Willow. And Willow says very loudly as she leaves the room, sorry, I have to talk to her. She's a teacher and teachers are ha have to be respected. And like, <laughs> that's, so that's more of that humor, right? Before yeah. before the other shoe drops. Yes, because let's not forget that Buffy is very upset with Jenny and doesn't want to see her or talk to her because Jenny ruined everything, her and her people. So this is one of the examples of the camera work I was talking about. When Buffy shows up, Buffy comes partway into the classroom. But Giles hangs back. He doesn't cross the threshold of the classroom. So the way the shot is framed is you have Buffy and Giles together in the shot, but Giles is slightly behind her and not in the classroom. And of course, Buffy doesn't want to talk to Jenny. Buffy leaves. Giles waits. And then he comes into the classroom to have his conversation with Jenny. So before he comes into the classroom, we're supposed to understand this as Giles is hanging back because he wants nothing to do with Jenny. And, and he doesn't even want to be in the same room as her. And then once Buffy and Willow take off, he crosses that threshold and that represents him compromising with himself and talking mm -hmm. to Jenny, not because he's ready to forgive her, but because he needs her help with magic. Yeah, that's an interesting way to describe that. I like that a lot. Uh, basically, he's telling Jenny what's going on with Angel being in Buffy's room and up to his old tricks, as you might say. And uh, he's trying to find a spell to keep him out of the house. And Jenny gives him a book and that she thinks might help him. And she does say to Giles that she knows he feels betrayed. And he gets snippy and he's like, that's what betrayal does. <laughs> Um, but Jenny does, this is her, this is her piece, right? This is where she gets to kind of justify what she did. And she's like, I was raised by my people who Angel hurt the most. I mean, that's, you know, we don't know if that's true or not, but she feels that way. Uh, her duty to them was the first thing that she ever was taught. So she lied thinking it was the right thing to do. And she didn't know that she was going to fall in love with Giles. So that's a bomb drop right there. Like she's in love with Giles. I think we were alluding to the fact that she cared deeply about him, but here she is telling him that she loves him. She's laying it all out. But I think it's it's finally good because I don't think they've given her really a, a good chance to explain. And a lot of this blame was thrown onto Jenny. And I don't know if that was fair, 
right? Like I, mm-hmm. I like to blame her uncle, uncle, uncle lies because he's the mm-hmm. one that didn't give her all the information. He gave her half baked information. So well, I don't I know. This is, this is a theme that I think comes up in the series fairly regularly over its run, which is that vengeance is never really what it's made out to be. And Jenny's people gave Angelus's soul back as a form of revenge to torture him for all eternity for what he did. This is that vengeance turning on them. And we're going to see that over and over again. And if every time somebody in this show seeks out revenge in some form, it comes back to bite you in spectacular, you know, hilarious Sunnydale fashion. <laughs> and, and this is just one of those examples is there's a, there's a difference between vengeance and justice. And, and uh, Jenny's uncle even acknowledged that. Right. In innocence, he's like, we don't want justice. We want vengeance. Mm -hmm. Well, you picked the wrong one because that is the problem (laughs) is vengeance is a double edged sword. It's going to cut you just as likely as it will cut the person you're revenging against. Um, Whereas justice is not always as satisfying, but it often is less harmful in the long run. Yeah. And and that's the thing, too, is so so Jenny like has her moment here to kind of say why she did it but like it, this is her appeal right she's like look i didn't know that i was going to get so involved i didn't know that the vengeance has two sides to it like you just said i didn't know this was going to happen but i do know that i love you and giles just stares at her while she's saying this and he's probably you know thinking back to those naked saturday nights between them and it was like man i miss those and jenny <laughs> says that she wants to be right with him she doesn't expect more from him but she wants so badly to make this up to him and giles says i'm not the one that you need to make this up to and he says thanks for the book and leave so obviously he's like hey buffy comes first and if buffy's pissed at you so am i he's choosing sides over here we cut to the summer's house buffy and joyce are eating a delicious dinner together not in a bag for some reason <laughs> very strange yeah it's a very an opened bag dinner for them and Joyce is bringing up that she has read all the parenting books so she knows something's wrong with Buffy and we're like Joyce we know (laughs) we know that you've read all the parenting books so Buffy brings up Angel they were dating off and on and they're off right now and Joyce is like don't tell me he changed he's not the same guy you fell for and Buffy's like yeah pretty much um Basically, uh, he's been following her around. He's having trouble letting go. Uh, Joyce asks if, if he has done anything to her. And Buffy said he's just been hanging around a lot and sending notes. And if he shows up, don't let him in. And I was like, okay, okay, but Buffy, he can already go in. So that's bad advice. But then on the other hand, I was like, Joyce, don't you remember last week when Buffy received a box full of roses that probably cost 100 bucks? And a note that said, soon. (laughs) And still, Joyce is not making that connection between these two (laughs) situations. But Buffy said her piece, and now Joyce can sit with that. Willow and Buffy are chatting on the phone before they go to bed. Willow is feeding her fish and agrees that with Giles, actually, which is very strange, that Buffy should try and just don't let Angel get to her. She's like, Angel's only doing this to get you to do something stupid. Men can be such jerks sometimes dead or alive and i was like why aren't you people taking angela seriously willow he's not just some jerky guy 
that Buffy met at the at the roller disco and dated for a month, <sighs> and then disco. like what the what the fuck? Like he's a murderer, right? But that's that we see that right away, right? Like Willow says that. And then the episode undermines her right away because she has an envelope on her bed. And lo and behold, it's not a sketch of her. It's her fish. Like, it's her dead fish. and On a string. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's honestly, it's very disturbing. Like, if yeah. you didn't already think this episode was going to be hardcore, I think this is probably the moment where the episode turns and reveals itself as like, you know, this is what we're doing 15 minutes into the episode it's just gonna get worse from here but my other thing is just like how did willow not see that envelope earlier in that scene like she obviously was getting ready for bed and that envelope was on her bed no maybe aunt angela snuck in while she was on the phone (laughs) he's like literally under the bed right now he's like no 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 like a classic uh horror movie serial killer so Willow's traumatized, obviously, and the next scene we see her, she's at Buffy's house, and they're surrounded by garlic, and Willow's holding a steak, and they're both, like, terrified, right? And um, the oddest part of this for me would not be the garlic and all that stuff, it's that they're both wearing silk pajamas, and I was like, I don't have a silk pajama set, I don't think I've ever <laughs> have, so it's cute that they both have this. Willow is uh, really glad for the first time that her parents didn't let her have a puppy, because don't forget in the last episode... We learned that Angel nailed a puppy to something back in the day. So Buffy says when stuff like this would happen before, her first instinct would be to run to Angel. And she really can't believe that this is the same person. He's completely different from the guy she knew. And Willow says, except you're still the only thing that he thinks about. So interesting. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Drusilla is bringing a puppy to Spike back of the factory and uh spike is in a really bad mood he's still in a wheelchair he's baking up a batch of frownies is how i would say it and drusilla is trying to get him to eat and kill this puppy lots of like pet murder in this episode well and then spike doesn't do it so like for the rest of the episode drew is carrying around this puppy with her and she's she's like so I have a dog now yeah she names it sunshine Uh, that's when angelus comes up and starts antagonizing Spike. And he says, I'll bring him, uh, Spike, I'll bring you next time. Um, it would be handy to have him around if he ever needs a good parking space. So more of that ableist joking um, and humor, which is really terrible. And Spike says that Angelus is, he's like, don't don't forget that you're in my home right now. And like, you're a guest. And Angelus says, if there's anything I can do... Any responsibility that he can assume, anything that he's not Ooh. already doing Ooh. as he looks at Drusilla. And like Drusilla and Angel are totally doing it. Like they're totally getting it on. And Spike knows it. And that's why he's so salty. And so Spike like screams at him like that's enough. Right. And like pushes away. And Angela just starts laughing. And Drusilla does too. And these people are just evil, just evil, toxic relationships. That's when Drusilla starts going into a trance and she says someone an old enemy is seeking help to destroy our happy home so that's when we cut to a magic shop and jenny enters and she's telling the shopkeep that she needs the orb of thessala which surprises the shopkeep because he's used to people coming in looking for like love spells and voodoo dolls i I love this guy like i love the act right i Mm -hmm. love how straightforward and like upfront he is where he's like yeah all this new age stuff it's putting my kids through college like he's just (laughs) like 
because you know clearly he knows what's what in the supernatural world because he, he can give her the the orb of Thessala, but mm-hmm. you know he's like yeah like i'm just taking advantage of all these rubes <laughs> and i'm just like <laughs> good for you dude right yeah. like you you go yeah you do your thing. work smarter not harder you know <laughs> So Jenny is paying for the orb and he's saying, hey, don't you know that like without the transliteration of the rituals for this, like this is not going to work. And she says that she's been inventing a computer program that will translate the Romanian liturgy to English based on random samplings of the text that she has. And I was like, what? (laughs) I think this is really cool. But what? And like, she's also kind of a liar because in innocence, she said that those magics were long lost. Well, they were lost until she found them. Duh. <laughs> of course. Come on, course. Steph. Sorry, sorry. She had two whole episodes to do Oh, it. I think this is just another example, right, of how the show is kind of hinting to us that technology and magic do have some kind of intersection. Mm-hmm. Jenny's a technopagan. Like, if there's anybody who can use technology to make up for a deficit in our knowledge of magic, it's going to be Jenny. Very true. And um, as she's leaving, the shopkeeper does ask her, like, what are you planning to conjure up if you can decipher the text? And she says a present for a friend of hers. And the shopkeeper says, what are you going to give him? And she holds up this orb, which is like a cool glowy white orb thing. And she says, his soul. <laughs> Ooh. So... We cut to school. Buffy and Willow are chatting as Xander meets up with them. Again, Xander is the friggin' worst here. He's like, what did you guys do last night? And Willow's like, oh, we had like a pajama party sleepover with weapons kind of thing. And Xander says they should have located a camera to capture the moment. Xander, you are the worst character on this show. And there are characters on this show who literally murder puppies. (laughs) But you are the one I cannot stand. So Willow has to get to class and they see Jenny walking across campus and Willow's like really disappointed because she's like, oh, Jenny's here. So much for the five hours of lesson planning I I prepped last night. So so cute. And Buffy approaches Jenny and Jenny looks genuinely surprised that Buffy is talking to her. And Buffy says, look, I know that you feel badly about what happened. And I just wanted to say, keep it up. And Jenny's like, okay, don't worry, I will. Like, I will. She's like taking this opening, right? She's like, yep, I will. And then Buffy says um, that he misses you. He doesn't say anything, but I know he does. And I don't want him to be lonely. I don't want anyone to be lonely. And Jenny starts saying that she wants to make it up to her. And Buffy says, we're good here. Let's just leave it at that and then leaves. And the maturity of Buffy It takes a lot of courage. I think it takes a lot of gumption to forgive. But I think it's also the fact that Buffy is thinking so selflessly. She's just like really thinking about Giles and what she thinks will make Giles happy. Has she forgiven Jenny though? I'm not sure I agree with that reading of this scene. I I don't know if I agree Buffy is that mature. Mm. I think this scene is showing us a glimpse of her maturation. But... You know, she opens the conversation by being like, good. And then it's all, she only really talks about Giles as almost an afterthought. I, I think Buffy wanted to twist the knife a little bit with Jenny and then regretted it. And that's that maturity aspect. But no, like, I think at the end of the day, and, and that's one of the things this, sh- this episode shows us, is Buffy is, as far as she's come since Prophecy Girl, she's still a young 
17 year old there are things she lacks the maturity for i think this is her attempting to deal with her mixed emotions around jenny so i i can see where you're coming from i'm just not inclined to read it as a clear-cut moment of forgiveness it's a detente perhaps but not complete like redemption yet for jenny because if it were forgiveness i think it would be come back to us right I, well, I think what it was is that, like, she, like when I, I read it as forgiveness, because I think she went there not really knowing what she was going to say. And that's why mm-hmm. she did kind of rub it in. She was kind of like, okay, good. I'm glad you're hurting. But then she was just like, ah, but, like, Giles misses you, so we're good. You know? Like, if you're going to be around again, I'm not going to punch you. See, I sorry. Mm-hmm. I, 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 if, if we're talking about that line where she says we're good here. Yeah. See, I read that as, you know, like, step off, like, don't worry about it we're gonna fix this we don't need your help right like pushing jenny away not we're good as in it's all good between us interesting we have completely different reads on that then yeah mine was like (laughs) you and i are good like we're this is good now you know that's how i was reading it interesting so maybe the listeners can let us know what they how they read into this little dynamic between buffy and jenny i also want to say that i think i'm leaning more toward the forgiveness side because i know what's to come and I just really want that for, for Buffy, you know? That... No. <laughs> no. No. No, nope. you don't get that stuff. Fine. Buffy catches up to Giles in the hallway, and Giles says that he did find a ritual to revoke the invitation to vampires. Wonderful. That took no time at all. Great. Once he actually started looking, right? You've only had like four episodes. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, she's, ah, I cannot deal. So that's when Cordelia, like well, like I said, she's so random in this episode. She just shows up again and like is saying that she had to switch cars with her grandmother. <laughs> Yay, you found a ritual. That's great. All it takes is some rhyming couplets, burning of moss herbs, holy water, hanging crosses, all that stuff. So we cut to Willow's room that night and she's hammering across to her wall next to her window and she's basically saying this is going to be really hard to explain to her father ira rosenberg and she does say that like every christmas she goes to xander's house to watch charlie brown christmas and that is how like jewish her parents are and um she does say that xander has a snoopy dance that makes it all worthwhile and that's when we realize that cordelia is there cordelia is in willow's room looking at her aquarium and she points out that there's no fish in the aquarium which makes willow sad and buffy says we already fixed your car so you can take off goodbye and cordelia says thanks and she'd do the same for them if they had a social life and i was like cordelia what a bitchy thing to say to people who are helping you out and again like it's not out of character for cordelia to be a bitch but i do think that she's grown a bit since those more bitchier days sure she's being ditzy in this episode but i also didn't care for this bitchy remark from her either and that's when Cordelia notices that there's an envelope on Willow's bed. Again, Angelus is still in Willow's room, like hanging out underneath the bed. He just placed it there when they were all looking at the aquarium. And um, (laughs) Cordelia gives it to Willow. They open it and Willow's like, it's for you, for Buffy. (laughs) And it's a drawing of Joyce while Joyce is asleep. Oh, shit. 
So we cut to Buffy's house where Joyce is arriving home from work and Angelus is waiting for her on the lawn. And I like got a fright because like, I mean, I've seen this episode, this episode before, but like, this is dangerous. And I've been saying this for episodes now. I was like, Joyce is in danger, people. And he approaches Joyce and as she's getting out of the car and he's so like desperate and he's like, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to Buffy. And Joyce says, Buffy told her that she wants Angel to leave her alone. And Angel says, oh, I can't do that. And Joyce is like, you're scaring her. And Angel's getting like frantic. And he's like, you have to help me, Joyce. I need to be with her. You, you got to convince her. You have to convince her for me. Talk to her for me. Tell her I need her. And he's being like really like anxiety filled and like this, this, getting in her space. Yeah, this is an act, of course, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this was a very difficult scene for me to watch because I... And lucky enough, I I don't personally have the experience of being in an abusive relationship, but I have witnessed um, friends being in abusive relationships before. And this this is how a lot of abusers act around the people who aren't part of the relationship is they will either act very normal, right? So it's like, oh, this person's a nice guy and there's nothing wrong with him. And so then the, the survivor, of course, seems like they're being unreasonable or they will show up or online and just kind of like turn it up and be like, you don't understand. Like, I've got to see her. I've got to like, you know, I need her. And it's that intensity. It's very overwhelming in the moment. And it's very, it makes you feel very awkward because you don't really know what to do. You become very uncomfortable. And and that's what they want is they want to set you off balance because you become vulnerable and that makes it easier for them to manipulate you. That's a really good way to describe it. And Joyce is doing a really good job of like advocating for Buffy where she's like, just leave her alone. She doesn't want to talk to you. But she's also getting very visibly frantic and she starts fumbling and she drops her bag of groceries because she's flustered. She's like, oh my God, this guy's in my face. He's like desperate. He's he's making me uncomfortable. And Angel is frantically helping her pick up her groceries while he's like, I'll die without Buffy and she'll die without me. And Joyce hears that and she's like, are you threatening her? And Angel says, why is she doing this to me? And Joyce says, you know what? I'm calling the police. She abandons her groceries. She gets out her keys and she's fumbling with them because she's nervous at the door while Angel stands above her. And Angel says, I haven't been able to sleep since the night we made love. And it's so awkward. It's like, why did he say that? Oh my God. And just as Joyce opens the door, She says, just leave us alone. And she goes into the house and Angelus fully expects to follow her in. But there's some sort of invisible force field that prevents him from entering the house. And that's when we look up and we see Buffy and Willow descending the stairs. Willow is reading a spell in Latin. And Buffy approaches Angel at the door and says, sorry, Angel, I changed the locks and then slams the door in his face. That door slam, 10 out of 10 bad bitch. Like, that was everything. I loved that. I cheered. I was like, fuck yes. Yes. It's another example of the amazing cinematography here, right? Of Joyce going in and, and out of the scene in one direction. Buffy and Willow coming down the stairs into the scene from another part of the frame. You know, Angel standing there with his back to the camera. And then Buffy confronting him and then slamming the door to put this physical barrier between us and her. Uh, it's so good. And yeah, like Angel revealing to Buffy's mom, Mm. of course, that they've had sex. Big bombshell. Um, And this 
this scene just made me think back to school hard and it made me think back to joyce taking spike on for buffy you know it's like i think in this moment if joyce knew that she could kill angel with a piece of wood to the heart she would do it right like no no question and we rag on Joyce for being a bad parent, and I'm going to be very critical of her in another couple of minutes. But at the end of the day, we know she loves her daughter. We know she would do anything for Buffy. I, Joyce doesn't get enough credit sometimes for how well she handles, considering she's not initiated into this supernatural shit, how well yeah. she's handling everything, all things considered. I feel for her, and like we will talk about Joyce in just a few minutes. But this is a very scary situation and she definitely felt fear and i'm curious to see how that plays out for her later so back at school jenny is working on this transcription software that she's inventing at the um late at night i don't know what time it is maybe like it's evening i don't know giles comes up behind her and asks her if she's working late and she says she's working on a special project but she spoke to buffy that day and buffy said that giles missed her and giles is like well she's a meddlesome girl Like, super uncomfortable. And Jenny says that she actually might have news for him. Good news. But she needs to finish up there. So she asks if she can see him later. And Giles says, yeah, stop by my house. Bump, trickle, bah, wow. And they both look really happy and cute. And Giles smiles really big. And I was like, Giles, stay. Just stay and wait for her to finish. Then go together. But alas, Giles leaves. So we cut to the store, the the magic store that Jenny visited earlier, and the shopkeep is closing up, but that's when Drusilla enters with her new puppy Sunshine, and the shopkeeper knows immediately that she's no good, and he's like, what do you want? And Drusilla says, you had a visitor, and she's basically talking through the puppy, but it's Drusilla. We know the puppy's not talking, <laughs> and the puppy's also not evil. Hey, you don't know that. You have no proof of the puppy's allegiances. For all we know, the puppy could be the real big bad of the season. Come on. There's a season I, I would like to see of Buffy. So basically, Drusilla's saying, I want to know what you and the mean teacher talked about. And that's when we cut back to Jenny, who's clickety-clackety all the way at her keyboard. And she says, that's it. And she's like chuckling. And she's like, I did it. This will work. And she copies all her files on her computer onto a yellow floppy disk. Is it a floppy disk? Is that what you would call such a thing? <laughs> yes, Steph. That's <laughs> you should know what those are. You're old enough to know what those are. I was about to explain what that is to our listeners, uh, many of whom were not alive when floppy disks were in use. But well, I'm very youthful and young, and I don't know what a floppy disk is. <laughs> so, so back before we had USB storage drives, back before we had CD-ROMs, even um, we had floppy disks, which came in various sizes, but the one that Jenny's using is the one that was the most common towards the end of the floppy disk's useful lifetime. And, and it doesn't look floppy because it's in a hard plastic shell. That's to protect the floppy disk that stored things magnetically inside. And you'd plug it into a slot on your computer, like we see Jenny doing, and you could copy uh, the most common ones, you could store a whopping one and a half megabytes of information on them. So wow. go nuts. <laughs> but yeah, they, they fell out of vogue around the turn of the century. And I think it was probably like, so so just a few years after this episode, basically. And then yeah. um, probably like closer to 2010, like around that time, that was when they stopped like making floppy disk drives. So 
Uh, for our younger listeners, that's why if you use a program with a save button, you'll see there's a little square icon next to it. That's because you used to save things to your floppy disks. And so the, the <laughs> floppy disk is no more, but the floppy disk icon is still there to represent saving something. And this has been Computer History with Kara. Yeah, I was going to say, Kara keeping floppy disks alive since 1998. <laughs> I was all about the floppy disk because the very first computer that I was allowed to have in my bedroom was uh, an old hand-me-down computer my dad had got for free from work. And it had like a four gigabyte hard drive, which was so big back then. Mm -hmm. But I would like, like I was writing a novel in high school and I'd like tap up my novel and then I'd back <laughs> it up to a floppy disk just in case something happened. <laughs> yeah. And then you'd also store your restoration spells on there, right? Like, <laughs> Oh, of course. Absolutely. I had a whole separate box of floppy disks just for that. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you for that history lesson. I, I didn't know what a floppy disk is because I'm so young and, you know, I didn't have that kind of technology growing yes, up. Yes, you're so incredibly younger than I am. <laughs> what a world. Aren't you actually like a year older than me? Yes, I'm older than you. Fine. <laughs> so... Um, Jenny, yes, she copies all the spell that she translated onto this floppy disk, but she also prints off some on the printer that's conveniently next to her. So as this is printing, she looks up and, oh my god, Angelus is sitting at one of the desks in her classroom. This guy is sneaky as fuck. Like, we don't know when he's laying down these envelopes. We don't know when he's walking into rooms. This guy's everywhere. He's like a ghost. So Maybe he was actually just there to put an envelope and she caught him. <laughs> Yeah, he was like placing it. He's like, and then he's like so coolly and subtly sat really quickly. So, <laughs> what an evil mastermind. So, she's like, How'd you get in here? How indeed? And Angela says, I was invited. And I like that he said this because we know that he was just dissed and dismissed at Buffy Summer's house. So you know he's pissed off and he came to the school. And that's why when she's like, what are you doing here? He's like, I was invited. As in like, here's a place I can go in and still have mm -hmm. some fun. So he's like pissed at Buffy and he's going to take it out now on Jenny. And Jenny says, hey, I've got good news. Angelus is like, I heard. And I really like this delivery from David Boreanaz. He's like, you went shopping at the local boogity boogity store and you have the orb of Thessala. And if memory serves, this is supposed to summon the person's soul from the ether and store it until it can be transferred. So he picks up the orb and Angela says, you know what I hate most about these things? And then he viciously and violently throws it against the blackboard and it explodes. And he says, they're just so damn fragile. And... This is where I got really scared because like loud noises scare me like mm -hmm. and was, he so violently threw it and I've been watching the Olympics and he like could have been in the Olympics with how hard he threw that ball. So Jenny is terrified as she should be and Angel starts looking at the computer and he's like saying that she put all the secrets to restoring his soul in the computer and then he breaks it. And then he goes over to the printer and he's like, and it comes out here and he just starts smashing everything. And he rips up the newly printed spell. And Jenny's like, don't, that's your cure. And Angel's like, hey, been there, done that. And as he's destroying the computer and the printer and the papers, he's like, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. Then he has a vamp face on. He looks up and he looks at Jenny and he says, and teacher makes three. So scary. So Jenny starts to run. Angel grabs her and throws her so violently 
into the door that it opens <laughs> conveniently though and jenny gets up and she starts to run down the hall she's running for her life like this girl is going and it's that classic horror movie trope where doesn't matter how fast she runs doesn't matter how many turns how many secret passageways she might take he's just gonna walk and as he walks he's gonna catch up to her no doors in Sunnydale High are open. She cannot get out of these hallways. At one point, she is outside, but for some reason ends up back inside. And I will say in this one scene, I did... It's supposed to be really scary and tense, and absolutely it is. But there's one scene where she kind of like ducks behind this janitor's mop thing. And Angel is running straight at her, and she shoves it at him, and he falls over it. And I did think that was funny because, you know... Well, yeah, I mean... He should have seen that coming. Like, well, he was running directly at it's it. It's so obvious what she's going to do. Yeah. But yeah, like this scene. Oh my goodness. I don't even know where to start with this scene. Once again, yeah. amazing camera work. Just the way that the camera follows Jenny stalking her like Angelus is stalking her as a predator. The intensity, the the way it narrows the hallway. Mm -hmm. Um, He's playing with her. This is symbolic of how he wants to treat Buffy. Like, he would rather be chasing Buffy and, and killing Buffy this way, right? Mm -hmm. But he is delaying his gratification on that note. So Jenny, for him, is more of a, an horse divorce. <laughs> Did I say that right? Horse divorce. Horse divorce. There we divorce. go. Uh, Jenny is a horse divorce for him with regards <laughs> to killing Buffy, you know? And, yeah. and to, to link this back to the abuser angle again, right? This is... This is what people fear from an abuser is not just the physical violence directed towards them. It's the physicality of the violence around them, right? When you mentioned how Angel's destruction of the orb disturbed you mm -hmm. and, and like was really disconcerting for you, it, it works like that because he didn't hurt Jenny in that moment, but he demonstrated his capability of hurting Jenny. Yeah. So... That's what makes this scene so intense for me is they draw it out so long. This is a long chase sequence and we're left to wonder what will happen at the end of it. He doesn't hurt Jenny outright. He could have just done something to her in the computer room. They draw it out and then we get to the end of the scene. So after the cart trick as you mentioned yeah. yeah um she turns and runs up the stairs for some reason and please like why like the moment she did that i was watching it i'm just like why are you going up the stairs like there's no way out from there what are because you gonna do jump down the roof she's a female victim and they always yeah. run up the stairs they have to. they always run up the stairs yeah. um she's doing a good job of running in those shoes those shoes are probably not easy to run in especially upstairs oh she was burning it she was running yeah. like she was sprinting so she runs up the stairs and she's rounding the corner on one of the landings on, on this flight of stairs and it's right in front of a window. The moonlight's streaming in. She runs into Angelus. He's there already. He somehow beat her up the stairs. <laughs> he's so fast. Yeah, he's a ghost. He's getting his cardio in in this episode, I gotta say. Mm. So he grabs her. And she knows in that moment she's not getting away. And he says, sorry, Jenny. This is where you get off. And then, and I, I, my heart goes out to you, Steph, because I know that you do not enjoy this. He snaps 
her neck. Mm. Call back to our Lord Moloch. Praise Moloch. Praise Moloch. It's the finality. And he savors the moment. He says, I never get tired of doing that. And then we cut away. And this is the first time in Buffy that a recurring character has been killed off. Yes, we lost Jesse. We barely knew him. Obviously, we killed off Buffy at the end of season one, but she got better. You know, the the series has, has established Jenny as a very important member of the cast. And this is unprecedented. Nothing will be the same after this moment for this show. I don't think it's going to surprise anybody, especially because we're more used to it in TV nowadays. The show will go on to kill more of its cast after this over the next few seasons and I'm not going to say who or how, but it's going to keep happening. It's always devastating. Jenny Callender was the first. And it's brutal. It's final. There, There is no way that you could mistake this as, oh, he's just, you know, he's kidnapped her. He's tortured her. You know, it wasn't fade to black. It was death on screen. She's not coming back. She's done. No, he didn't bite her. If he had bit her, there would have been the chance yeah. that she'd come back as a vampire. It's not Oof, that way. I don't know if I'd like that. Mm. He He's done. Like, yeah. you know, we were talking about how evil Angelus is supposed to be, but nobody seems to be cluing into it. And, and the show hasn't really shown it to us yet. It told us with the judge not being able to burn him. It's like, oh, he's so evil. Well, we haven't really seen it yet. It It tried to convince us that he's evil because he smokes. Um, but this is really the moment where we see the predator Angelus come out. So I don't, I just, I don't know. I, this is a, a powerful scene and by all rights, this should be the most powerful moment in this episode, except it's not because the episode is not over yet. We're like halfway through. (laughs) And that's something I always forget when I'm watching passion is the next scene just it cuts to something almost completely different basically and it takes us a little bit of time to find out like for everybody else to find out that jenny's dead and i forget that like there's a whole half episode to go where we're dealing with the fallout of jenny's death i think i always think of the episode as ending just after she's died and of course that doesn't work at all but yeah it's just wow this is why i love season two because Almost every other episode feels monumentous and it feels like a game changer. And here we have mm-hmm. another episode that's changing the game. It's changing the pace of how we're going to be viewing the series. And it's only coming two or three episodes after the last one that did this. So it's keeping us on our toes. We're heartbroken now. And and I like what you said about we're finally seeing Angelus for the threat that he really is. And these people have not been taking this seriously up until now. And it's not for another uh, two scenes from now where I actually think that comes out in an even more like visceral way. Yeah. So the scene that you're talking about next is we're at Buffy's house and Giles is knocking on the front door. Like you said, he doesn't know what just happened. He doesn't know that Jenny just died. He's checking in on Buffy and Willow and asking for a book. And uh, for the book with the ritual so that he can do it at his house. He's like, I'm going to go to my house right after this and do the ritual. You think they would all have like written down a copy of the ritual, right? Like (laughs) Everyone go after school when it's still light out and do it. Not that that stops Angelus, who apparently just goes into Willow's house during the day. (laughs) But he lives there now. He lives under the bed. 
So Willow says that Angel showed up and told Buffy's mom that he and Buffy had the sex. And um, she doesn't say sex, but we know that's what she's talking about. It's very cute how Willow says it, right? She's like, you know, <laughs> you know. what they did. You, you yeah. know what they the, you the know, thing. right? Because then she realizes that maybe Giles doesn't know, oh, and yeah. she's just outed Buffy to another adult. This is so funny because she says, like, oh, I thought because you're a librarian, you might not know. And I'm like, Willow, do you forget that in the Dark Age, we learned that Giles used to have crazy orgies? <laughs> I mean, I'd almost forgotten. Like, that's how good Anthony Stewart Head is at, like, playing this weird librarian is it's like you forget the the, yeah. the show needs to remind us more often that giles has gone off in the past like yeah giles had a past so basically giles says the weirdest thing where he's like oh do you because um willow says buffy and her mom are upstairs talking and giles is like do you think i should intervene on on buffy's behalf like maybe i should say something for her and willow is so great here like she this is peak willow for me because willow like she says yeah sure what would you say because willow is not stupid like willow is the smartest person alive and she's like i'm gonna play this guy because like, he just said the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. So she's just like, what would you say? And Giles just like looks at her and then Willow just opens the door. She's like, have a good night. Like, bye. <laughs> and Giles is like, just tell Buffy to drop by and leave. So that was like a really, I think that was a really good scene. A little comic relief before the fall. So in Buffy's room, her and her mom had a very serious conversation. And she's telling Joyce that um, Angel's really superstitious which is why the herbs and the and the Latin. <laughs> and Joyce is really struggling here. I think she's really up and down. She's like, I, like she's in, I, I don't know. I feel for Joyce in this scene. I, I'm curious to know how you took this scene. I personally felt for Joyce in a lot of ways because she just had this confrontation. And she was just like on her way home after a long day of work with her groceries. She was going to make some dinner, talk with Buffy, smoke her Jay, go to bed, right? But like, she got confronted by this like anxious out of control unstable person that threatened her daughter with life or death so she's struggling here she's asking Buffy if that was her first that she's ever had sex with and she's like I don't want to know I don't know if I want to know I don't know I don't know I don't know and then Buffy's like he was the first he was the only and Joyce says that he's older than you like, too old, Buffy. He's too old for you. And, like, how old do you think Joyce thinks Angel is? In his 20s. In his 20s? Like, maybe, like, 25? Like, 26? Probably uh, younger than that if he's college age, right? He looks 30. <laughs> and um, I just think it's interesting that Joyce is bringing up the age difference. And, you know, you and I, yes, we're going to talk about the age difference in a later bonus episode at the end of the season. Tune in, everybody, for Angel on Trial. But uh, it is Joyce who brings it up for the most part. I don't think it's really been touched on too much by the other characters who are really invested in the supernatural elements of Sunnydale. Joyce is not. Joyce is our tether from our world, our normal reality, to this world. Joyce is very much in our world. That's a good way of looking at it, yeah. Yeah, she's, she's one of us who doesn't know what she's looking into yet, right? So I just think it's interesting that she brought that up. But she also brings up that he's obviously not very stable. And then she says, I just thought you would show more judgment. Buffy says he wasn't like this before. She asks Buffy if she's in love with him. Buffy says she was. And Joyce asks if she was careful. And Buffy starts being like, ah, mom. 
And she says, don't you mom me. You don't get to get out of this. You had sex with a boy you didn't even see fit to tell me you were dating. That's when Buffy says she made a mistake. And Joyce says, don't just say that to me because I think you really did make a mistake. Buffy says, I know I can't. I know that. And I can't tell you everything. And Joy says, how about anything? She's like, Buffy, you can shut me out of your life. I'm pretty much used to that. But don't ever expect me to stop caring about you because it's never going to happen. I love you more than anything in this world. She sits down next to Buffy. This is your cue to roll your eyes and say that I'm grossing you out. Buffy says she's not. And then Joy says, well, this was the talk. Buffy asks her how it went. And Joy says, I don't know. It was my first time. Like I said, I made space in my heart and my mind for Joyce in this situation because I think that she was a little shocked and not expecting to have to have a conversation like this on this day. It's surprising and unfortunate that she had to learn about it in this way from this guy who like threatened to kill her and then said they had sex. Like I just think it's like really overwhelming for her and Ultimately, I just think that she showed a lot of authority, but also sensitivity in the end when she said, no matter what mistakes you make, Buffy, I'm never going to stop loving you. I'm never going to stop caring about you. And you and I have talked before about how girls are like encouraged not to have sex because of the reputation they'll get after or the way that people will treat them. So I did think that it was nice of Joyce to add in that I'm never going to stop caring about you no matter what mistakes you made, if they are mistakes, or what you do and you don't want to tell me about them, I'm always going to love you because I'm your mom. And I thought that was a nice way of saying you're not worthless, Buffy. <laughs> you still, like, I-, I love you no matter what. And I had to express this concern and that's it. So what are your thoughts, Kara? <laughs> um, I-, I know I said a few minutes ago I was going to be critical of Joyce in this in this scene. And when I was watching it, I I had very critical thoughts about how she was reacting to Buffy, you know, putting a lot of weight on Buffy's shoulders for how Buffy acted. Mm-hmm. But you make a lot of good points. And when when we, now that we're at this scene and you're recapping it and talking about, I can't, yeah, I, I can't um, be hard on Joyce right now. That's fair. Do I think that Joyce needed to ask her so many personal questions about it? I don't. But um, Joyce came out with the thumbs up from me. I don't know how I would have handled that if I if I learned that way. Well, that's the thing is it's a this is a very difficult type of conversation to have. And mm-hmm. respect to Christine Sutherland and Sarah Michelle Geller for how they performed in this scene mm-hmm. and how they handled it and the writing and the direction because I th- I think there's no perfect way to do this scene because there's no perfect way to have this conversation in real life. And I think that's part of the challenge of a tv show like this portraying these very real emotional issues is that when you're writing the story there's a a a temptation or a danger of making scenes like this too good too perfect too on the nose And something that I really admire about this show in general, and they get better and better as the show goes on, is their ability to embrace the messiness of these moments. We saw it in season one, especially in Prophecy Girl, where uh, the scene where Buffy goes off on Giles because Mm -hmm. she doesn't want to die because she's 16. Mm -hmm. Like, the show lets us sit with how uncomfortable that scene is. And 
this is another good example is, you know, does Buffy's mom act great in this scene? No. No. Does no. Buffy act great in this scene? No, but that that's how it is in real life. And, and the fact that they were able to capture that imperfection, I think, is what makes this a great scene in, in, in a very good episode. I really love how you described it because the messiness is so realistic, in my opinion. It's like, like I said, I don't know how I would approach it. It would probably come out as <sighs> bumbling and sometimes I'd say the wrong thing and sometimes I say the right thing, right? I do want to say too, another reason why I cut Joyce slack in this is that I remember how they wrote for her mothering in Bad Eggs and even back in Ted, right? We've gotten a couple of Buffy Joyce episodes in this season so far and in comparison to her to her mothering in Bad Eggs especially where she was so hot and cold and just like didn't listen to Buffy at all and just punished her no matter what we keep saying Joyce listen to Buffy and here she is sitting and like asking her questions some of them evasive right I I, I don't know I just, I feel like it's it's justified for a mother because of the unstableness of this guy that she just met this night, she's like, maybe, you know, it, it was a mistake to put your judgment on Angel. On the other hand, she's 16, and how would she know that an older man would take advantage of her that way, right? So I just, I, I compare the writing for Joyce from these other episodes into this one, and that's another reason why I cut her a little bit of a slack, because I'm like, this is a really, this is a much tougher situation than Buffy wasn't in the mm -hmm. library when I told her to be, right? Mm-hmm. We would love to hear what listeners think about this conversation. It's not easy. It's, it's, there's a lot of ways to read into it. Um, but yeah, so from this conversation on to the next scene, which is pure devastation, Giles is arriving home. <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, no, no. And there's a rose on the door. And we can hear opera music coming from inside. And Giles literally picks up the rose and smells it. Like... <laughs> like the, the romantic he is and he smiles and he goes inside and inside Giles apartment there's a bottle of champagne on ice there's two glasses roses uh candles are lit and Giles says Jenny it's me which broke my fucking heart and Giles sees a note on the same kind of paper that all the drawings have been on and it says upstairs and he grins, he grabs the champagne bottle and glasses and starts heading upstairs with like, you know, the look of anticipation on his face. And as he gets to the top, the music is reaching its peak and he gets to the top of the stairs and that's when he sees Jenny's lifeless body lying on his bed. She's clearly dead. Giles, his face is so it, it's the face yeah. he gives. Well, we we see his face before we see the body, right? He comes yeah. up the stairs. And again, Anthony Stewart had amazing actor. The the way his face changes, tiny little expressions. Yeah, you know what's waiting Shuttle. for him. Like we knew when mm -hmm. we saw the rose in the door, but like mm -hmm. you see him reacting before we see Jenny lying lifeless in bed, and that is what is so important to gain about the camera work and the framing of the scene here. Yeah, and then of course the way Angelus put that all together. I think it's interesting because Angelus, the whole episode is about passion, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't, is Angelus acting out of passion in, the, in this episode? Because it seems to me like he's the coldest and most calculating person in this whole episode. Because everything he's doing is calculated to bring Buffy misery, as we're about to see. And just like, yeah, I don't know. It, obviously, he's passionate about hurting Buffy, but 
I don't think he's acting out of passion the way that Giles is about to. Well, I ha- and I have thoughts about like the actual passion of this episode later on, but okay, <sighs> this is pure devastation. And after Giles drops that bottle and shatters, um, it cuts to Giles leaning against the wall. He's um letting it sink in, I guess. The fact that she's dead and the coroners are bringing the body out of the house. There's cops there. He's just staring straight ahead. The police officer says they need to talk to him and at bring him in to ask him questions. And Giles is so lost. And he's just like, yeah, of course. Yes, procedure. And then he's like, I need to make a phone call first. And this is when we cut back to Buffy's house and we get Angelus's voiceover again. And he's saying mm-hmm. that passion is the source of our finest moments, the joy of love, the clarity of hatred, and the ecstasy of grief. And as he's saying this, he's watching from the window Buffy and Willow receive the phone call saying that Jenny died. And he's drinking in this misery. This is what he waited for. He didn't stay at Giles' house to watch yeah, Giles' exactly. reaction. He came to Buffy's house to watch the girls yeah. react to this. This is what I mean about him not acting out of passion. He. This is all part of a big plan. I think from the very beginning, this was all part of his plan. And once again, the camera work is amazing. They could mm-hmm. have just played the scene straight as... Oh, it's Giles. Hi, Giles. What's up? Oh, Jenny's dead. Boo. But they didn't. They We are outsiders looking in on the scene with Angelus. There is no dialogue other than Angelus's voiceover. We don't get to hear what Buffy and Willow have to say. So the, the lack of, of voice to their grief, once again, we must rely on the acting from Sarah Michelle Gellar and Alison Hannigan. Which is spectacular. Yeah. So like you said, she answers the phone and we see Buffy's facial expression. And then like she hands the phone to Willow mm-hmm. and Buffy sinks down against the wall, just totally defla- deflated and defeated. Willow then hears the news and starts to cry. And we, we hear a little bit of dialogue at this point because we hear her sobbing oh no, 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 no. like over and over, like Mm. denying it, right? And she's in tears and Joyce has no idea what's going on, but she shows up and she's just like, what's, like, why are you crying? And she starts to hug Willow. Mm -hmm. And this is it. Like, this is why Angelus did this. This is why he hasn't killed Buffy in her bedroom yet. That would be too easy. She wouldn't suffer from that. She'd die too soon. Mm -hmm. He has took away somebody who was very important. Whether Buffy wanted to admit it or not, Jenny was important to her. You know, and he heard Giles in the process, and that's a bonus. And it's a strong signal, right? What he's telling Buffy is he's saying, I am not going to kill you. I am going to kill all of your friends. I've started with Jenny. You don't know who's going to be next. Is it going to be Willow? Is it going to be Xander? Is it going to be Cordelia? We have no clue. That's what makes him such a chaotic villain. And I have to say, I think he's probably the first good villain of the series. Because let's be real, the master never followed through. He spent an entire season talking about how awful the Slayer was and how he was (laughs) going to rule Sunnydale and stuff. And at the end of the day, he couldn't do it. He couldn't pull off. Here we are, a couple of episodes after turning evil, 
And Angelus has already rocked Buffy's entire world. You know, I want to say way more than the Master did, but I mean, you know, he did kill Buffy, so I guess he gets some credit for that. But like, Angelus has hurt Buffy far more than the Master did. And he's already been more effective than Spike. Like, I'm not down for him bullying Spike for being in a wheelchair right now, but, you know, Spike, you didn't do anything. (laughs) And here we are. And, And it's funny because later on in the episode, Spike goes off at Angelus and he's like what what have you accomplished here but I think that comes from a voice of jealousy I think Spike is jealous that Angelus is a really like terrifying big bad yeah um in comparison Spike is beta (laughs) like Angelus is proving himself to be the best villain like you said that the show has ever seen so much so that it literally hurts. Like, look at these girls sobbing in this house. Spike couldn't accomplish that. Neither could the master. And this is the scene where where before we were talking about how the violence and the cat and mouse games that Angelus played with Jenny, the cruelty of which that he murdered her was awful to see. And it shows how vicious that Angelus could be. It was this scene where I was finally... Like, this is Angelus. This is what all those textbooks were warning us about. This is what Giles Mm -hmm. warned about. This is what we were told. We were told, told, told. But it's not so much the murder of Jenny. It's Angelus reveling in the aftermath of that murder that we need to be scared of. Because he smiles and walks away when he sees how devastated the girls are, but mostly Buffy, who is not only going to think this is her fault, because she didn't kill Angelus at the end of Innocence. But Buffy also didn't get a chance to have her forgiveness or whatever of Jenny. Her and Jenny were in a weird place Mm -hmm. when Jenny died. Jenny wasn't part of the group, therefore maybe Buffy could have protected her more if she hadn't shunned her out. There's a lot of guilt here. And Angelus Mm. knows that. And Angelus is just so evil in this act of just watching and loving what he's done. This is like next level villainy. So again, and I brought this up in a past episode, anyone who comes down on Angel slash Angelus for not being a good character, for being boring or like, I'm like, you and I are watching completely different series because this episode and this scene particularly, he's a psychopath and I'm scared of him. (laughs) So... Xander and Cordy arrive at Buffy's house shortly after that in Cordy's car, the car that we've heard so much about this episode. And Xander says that he spoke to the cops who said that Giles had already left the station. Buffy wants Cordelia to drive them to Giles's house. And Willow does take a moment and says, don't you think he wants to be alone? And Buffy's like, I'm not worried about what he wants. I'm worried about what he might do. So as they head to Giles's house, Giles is packing up a bag of weapons, including a gas can into a bag. And he walks out of frame. But as he's leaving his apartment, we see that Angelus had left a sketch of Jenny's face just like she, he had been sketching all the girls sleeping, mm-hmm. he sketched technically Jenny sleeping on Angel's bed, on Giles's bed as well, and that's dark as fuck. Yeah, Giles isn't Giles anymore. Giles is Ripper, and <sighs> yeah, so so much for ignoring him until he goes away, Giles. So much for like ignoring the fact that he was breaking into people's bedrooms. Like this is why they put that in Giles's mouth. The writers mm-hmm. at the beginning of the You're episode. Right. Now the passion is coming out of him, like you're saying. 
So the Scoobies go into Giles' house and Xander and Buffy notice the drawing and they realize that Giles um, has taken his good weapons, that he's, you know, he's gone to the factory. And Cordelia says, so Giles is just going to try to kill Angel by himself. And Xander says, well, it's about time somebody did. Xander says, let's not forget that I hated Angel long before you guys jumped on the bandwagon. So I think I deserve a little something for not saying I told you so before now. And if Giles wants to go after the fiend, and when he says fiend, he looks directly at Buffy. The fiend who murdered his girlfriend, I say faster, pussycat, kill, kill. So I'm torn. I'm torn here, Kara. And it's because I, I hate Xander so much that I just want to say, fuck you, Xander. What, you can't rub it in the face that you didn't like Angel before everybody else because you didn't like him because Buffy liked him. You didn't, it, it wasn't because you're like, oh, he's going to kill Jenny one day. You didn't like him because Buffy preferred his dick to yours. So you don't get to play the I told you so card. Also, anyone who plays an I told you so card sucks, you know? And that's yeah. why this this infuriates me so much because that's not how it played out Xander you're making yourself seem a lot better than you are however and this is why I'm torn I do feel like someone had to say it right because up until now they've up until I mean the last two days they've been really concerned about keeping Angel out of their houses but someone had to bring it up I guess it's going to be Xander who says maybe we should think less about protecting ourselves from him and more about getting rid of him because at this point, for Xander especially, he's gone too far. I, I think you can give Xander credit and also hate Xander <laughs> in this scene, right? Like, yeah. somebody can be an asshole and still be right. Yeah, I was like, yeah, good point, but shut up. You know, that's exactly what I wrote here. Well, that's basically what Buffy says, right? She's like, yeah, like she agrees with Xander. And then she's like, but also shut up because <laughs> I don't... Like, at this at this point, she's like, what I care about in this moment is protecting Giles. You know, like, killing Angel is kind of secondary because Giles is more important to her than Angel dying. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, we <laughs> cut from Giles' house to the factory, where, as I mentioned previously, Spike is not admiring Angel's plan the way that we did. He's like, you know, you're just supposed to kill her. Like, how is that going for you, Spike? Because you showed up in Sunnydale, what, <laughs> 10 ago. episodes ago? More than <laughs> that? Ago. And yeah. that was your plan, was I'm going to roll into town, help Drew revive herself on the, the, the Sunnydale vibes, the Hellmouth vibes, and I'm going to kill a Slayer while I'm at it. That was your plan, Spike. How is that going for you? Okay, what like, makes you laugh is that Spike says that he prefers the Buffy-whipped Angelus to this Angelus, right? I'm like, no one is more Buffy-whipped than you, Spike. Like, you're the one that keeps bringing her up. Yeah. At least Angelus is doing something about it. So uh, once again, we got more ableism from Angel. Uh, we got Drew <laughs> showing up and, you know... She's still got a dog. Poor Drew. She, that dog is not going to last very long for her. Um, it's this confrontation among the villains. And then Giles shows up. And I think just before Giles shows up, Angelus is like, I've got everything under control. Like, don't worry about it. And then there's this just huge <laughs> fire eruption. Yeah. yeah. And the fire, you know, literally like there's a fire now, which mm -hmm. is not good for vampires and also not good for this factory. I assume there's a lot of flammable junk in here. Mm -hmm. um, TVs. 
yeah, all those TVs. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and then Giles is there and he basically like gives Angelus a straight up beat down. He just he has a club or an axe or something and he lights it on fire and then he just starts going at Angelus. Um and Angelus goes down at first and it looks like Giles is inflicting some serious damage, but of course, you know, the problem is you 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 can't stop. Like the moment Angelus can pause your attack, he's going to regain the upper hand, and that's exactly what happens. And I mean, Drew goes to get involved because you know she loves fighting, she loves the violence, and Spike is like, no, no, just, let's, let's just wait and see how this plays out. You know, and I think Spike's kind of thinking like, <laughs> yeah, like like Spike wins either way, right? Either Angelus kills. Giles and whatever like cool like Spike doesn't care about Giles or if Giles does kill Angelus I mean big loss right <laughs> uh, Spike will get Drusilla back to himself so Spike's he's there and he, he he's fine not to interfere and lo and behold Angelus gains the upper hand like he picks up Giles by the throat and he's like all right you had your fun and he's, he's about to, to feel powerful turning on Giles. And of course, that is when the little blonde cheerleader shows up and is like, it's my turn <laughs> and throws Angelus against the wall. And I love this fight scene because once again, they're, they're using a, the, the three dimensions really well. And Jealous runs up a set of stairs and Buffy grabs his leg and like pulls it through the stair, uh, pulls it through the banister. And so he falls and then as he regains his footing and goes up onto the catwalk, she like jumps on a bunch of boxes and jumps in front of him on the catwalk. Yeah. And it's just, it's such a good fight sequence. I remember I, I, I was watching it and I'm like, they could have just, you know, punched each other for 30 seconds <laughs> on, the, on the factory floor and they didn't. Yeah. And they what's, what's going on while this is happening, of course, is that fire that Giles started is spreading. So this factory is going to burn down at this point. What I like about it is because, yeah, the factory is going to burn down, but they're finally showing us the expanse of this factory, possibly because it's the mm -hmm. last time we're going to see it. This is a huge set. So when we mm -hmm. move them from the floor up the stairs onto the catwalk, you see how big and beautiful this set is. And I appreciated that they d brought the fight to that like uh, range for us so we could take a look. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so the fire eventually gets to the point right where you know it's getting close to giles because giles got knocked unconscious again so hello <laughs> what's this are you keeping count steph because <laughs> it's been a while another concussion for giles <laughs> um so buffy basically has a choice right is she gets the upper hand she gets to a point where she could potentially kill angelus but she has to choose what does she want from this? Does she want to kill Angelus or does she want to save Giles's life? She can't do both. Uh, and so basically she chooses to save Giles. Big surprise. She drags him out of this burning building. He regains consciousness and he's like, you shouldn't have done that. You should have let me kill him. Like, yeah, like that was going to happen. He pushes her. Right? Yeah, he pushes her away. Mm -hmm. it, it, yeah, it's a confrontation again. Mm -hmm. And I forgot this part. Buffy punches giles in the face second time <laughs> yes but like wow and, and she yells at him and she's mm -hmm. like i couldn't let i can't lose you and it's this it's this emotional moment it's sharpened by them both grieving for jenny already right and they're holding each other but it's also like we are seeing buffy's vulnerability as a 17 year old she doesn't want to lose her dad and, and this is her he, she is upset 
that her dad would run off on this suicide mission and leave her alone, especially yeah. because it, he was going to get killed and Angelus was still not going to be, you know, well, he's, he's dead, but Angelus was still going to be around. And it's like, you can't leave me alone. She's like, I can't do this alone. Oh my God. Like this, this show, Stephanie, oh, how, oh. like no show deserves to be this good. It's too, it's too good. Like if we're going to take it character by character here, Buffy does not want Giles to leave her alone because remember, Buffy feels alone. Buffy is a lonely ass 17-year-old. And remember I said her connection to angels because the two of them, when he had a soul, the two of them felt less lonely mm -hmm. together. And she lost that. She lost that person three episodes ago. So Giles is the next best thing to that. And she's begging him, do not leave me alone like this. And if you notice... This episode is about passion. This scene is where I saw that passion come through, not for like ex-lovers or anything mm -hmm. like that. It was about this friendship and this bond between the Slayer and the Watcher because after Buffy had her moment of taking in that Jenny died, Buffy actually took control. She was like, let's yeah. go to Giles's place. Let's go to the factory. You're right, Xander. Let, but we need to deal with this problem first. She takes care of Angelus pretty quickly. And then she saves Giles' life. And that's when she breaks down, when she realizes that, like, I almost lost you too. And it's too much for her 17-year-old self to handle. And that's why she sobs mm -hmm. and holds on to Giles, like, clinging to him in their grief. And then on Giles's end, he did exactly what he said they shouldn't do at the beginning of the episode, right? Don't give in to passion. Giles did that and he raged and he went and he burned the factory down, badass. But he did that without thinking straight. And now here he is breaking down this grown man, sobbing and letting mm -hmm. his 17-year-old slayer hold him while he mm -hmm. sobs. Like, yeah. TV does not get better than this, people. Like, this is so good. I felt this. Like, we're, oh my God. Oh yeah. my God. To risk his life to avenge Jenny, like, that is a passionate man. That's a man who yeah. loved that woman, you know? Oh. <sighs> so, we cut to the next scene. We hear Angelus's voiceover once again as Giles is returning home. And this broke my heart where he has to like tear down the caution tape, the police tape to get inside. And he enters very sadly. And I, I always would think move. About, I would literally never sleep there again. <laughs> Do you think he did the ritual when he got home? Yes. <laughs> That's the first thing he did. Um, yeah. And he's got to clean up all that shit. You know, like the police officers don't do that. You have to go home no. and clean up. So <sighs> Angelus is saying... It hurts sometimes more than we can bear. We can live without passion and maybe we know some kind of peace, but we would be hollow, empty rooms, shuttered, dank. Without passion, we'd be truly dead. And when I heard this quote, I thought back to what you said when we were talking about innocence and how Buffy, when she was sobbing her eyes out on her bed, you had said that Buffy has never been more alive than in this moment because pain is real and that makes her a real life human being in this world. Mm -hmm. So that's what Angelus is saying here. Like without that passion for life or for the people in it or whatever, we'd all be dead. Mm -hmm. That's when we panned Jenny's tombstone. So we didn't get to see Jenny's funeral. I'm sure it was very beautiful. Her tombstone is by this little pond in the cemetery and Giles is laying flowers down while Buffy stands next to him. 
And Giles is saying that in all his years as Watcher, he's buried too many people, but Jenny was the first one that he loved. I like this line because it reminds us, right, that Buffy is Giles' first Slayer, as far as we know. And But he's been a Watcher for most of his adult life, basically. He has a history. He he has probably a violent past. He, he has probably slain his share of monsters. And he, he often seems very awkward to us, and he gets knocked out quite a bit. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it's interesting. That one line kind of reminds us that Giles has these hidden depths to his past that we will continue to explore. Buffy is very teary, and she says, I'm sorry I couldn't kill him for you, for her, when I had the chance. I wasn't ready, but I think I finally am. And this Ooh. is what I mean. Like, Buffy is going to blame herself yeah. for Jenny's death. She's yeah. going to blame herself for this. And... That's when we cut to school where Willow, Will, apparently Snyder has given Willow permission to teach Jenny's computer class until the new teacher comes. So Willow is like, I'm just going to follow Jenny's teaching lesson. And as Willow is moving things around Jenny's desk, the yellow floppy disk from earlier that has the cure on it falls between the crack between the desk and the filing cabinet and out of sight. Once again amazing camera work right like we are mm. the camera set up to show us like it's behind the filing cabinet and we see the disc fall down and land yeah. there and it's this it's a symbol because that's the last piece of jenny they have left yep there's no reason they would focus on the disc like that except to remind us that it's there it's this symbol of hope yeah uh what will become of the disc will they use it we'll have to find out but it's a powerful shot well, and especially since the shot, as that floppy disk bounces on the ground and then lays still, we hear Buffy's voiceover. It's so interesting that it's Buffy's voiceover and not Angelus because Angelus started the episode. But Buffy ends it with hope and saying, Angel is gone. Nothing is ever going to bring him back. And we're looking at what could potentially yeah. bring him back. And that's the end of Passion. We are destroyed. We are spent. Who is your hero, Kara? Like, you and I have the same hero. It's obviously Jenny. It's Jenny. Obviously Jenny. By a thousand light years. Jenny is the hero here. Jenny's story in this episode was a redemption story, right? She was trying her best to make things right. And she was doing everything she could yeah. to find a cure. And the thing is, she did. She did find a cure. Mm -hmm. She found the ritual. She found the orb. She got everything together for this team. Mm -hmm. That's why she had to go. Yeah. It's almost like we knew that, that her number was up as soon as we knew she was looking for a cure. <laughs> it's like it's too soon for yeah. a cure. It's Yeah. She's, she is a hero. She's the hero of this episode. She was the first character, the first character that this show, like recurring cast member that the show killed off. Like that is her legacy. You know, and yeah, she died for this. One of the th yeah, like one of the things that is sad, right, is not just losing Jenny, but losing the character, losing Roby Elamort's acting. You know, like they could theoretically bring her back for flashbacks, or you know, I don't know, like alternate universe Jenny or time traveling <laughs> Jenny or something. Like I don't know, like this is a, su a a magic show. Like lots of stuff could bring her back temporarily, but yeah. for the most part, right? Like we are losing. The character, we're losing the actor. This was a fitting death, though. 
And yeah. I appreciate that because too many times shows will kill off a character, especially if there's like a dispute, right? And I, I don't know that that's the case with this particular situation, but like there are situations, right, where a show will kill off a character and it'll be rushed or pointless, um, or at least that's the way it seems. This was a hero's death and Jenny Callender, rest in peace. Yeah. Okay. We're sad. Oh. <laughs> we're so sad. <laughs> All right, we got hot stakes. Yeah, we're going to get into our hot stakes because, you know, listeners raise us up. <laughs> we got a lot of hot stakes. We got a couple for this episode. We got got a couple of uh, hot stakes for Innocence. We need to talk a little bit about Cordy. We appreciate everybody sending in your hot stakes. Uh, we appreciate everybody who's reaching out on social media and by email. We, we cannot share everything that everybody sends us. There's just... Honestly, like, it's a wonderful problem to have. <laughs> it's great. And, and we're not trying to brag. It's just like, you know, we try to respond to, to people as much as we can, but we can only do so many hot stakes at once. So first <laughs> one we've got from Magnus commenting on a parallel between Jenny and Moloch. And we kind of pointed this out earlier, right? But, you know, Magnus is talking about how in iRobot Eugene, very first scene, Moloch snaps somebody's neck. And uh, the connection that Magnus made that we didn't talk about was that this is also the first episode where Jenny shows up. Mm -hmm. So Magnus is like, is this foreshadowing? And I don't know (laughs) if I would go that far. um, But (laughs) what an episode to show up in. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a connection, you know, and and yeah, that's it's really interesting. And I'm glad you brought that up, especially maybe for those of our listeners who skipped season one, kind of joined us in season two. Maybe go back and watch that episode. It's not as bad as you think. Yeah, or perhaps Jenny joined, you know, the Moloch in the sky and <laughs> they're going to rule Moloch. together. <laughs> Praise Moloch. Uh, thanks, Magnus. So our next hot stake is from Esme, who reached out before we recorded Passion so that she could share this with us for this episode. Passion is a really devastating episode, but the part that upsets me most is Buffy and Jenny's final conversation. I don't know whether it's the product of media I consume or my own anxieties about loss, but the idea of the last thing that you say to someone before you lose them is something that plays heavily on my mind. Buffy didn't know this was the last time that she'd talked to Jenny, so when she wavers and is almost nice to her, I feel like she thinks she can say she can see a way out of her anger and to forgive but she's just not there yet. Now she has to live knowing the last time she spoke to Jenny, it was anger. I sadly lost a friend and coworker earlier this year, and one of my first thoughts in grief was trying to work out what our last conversation had been. I tried to turn this worry into a positive by trying to make every interaction I have end on a good note, and it feels like an extra twist of the knife that Buffy almost got there but wasn't able to yet. Might be a little existential to share on the podcast, but it's something I think about a lot in this episode. On a side note, the day I learned my friend's passing, I was suddenly drawn to watch Buffy despite not having rewatched in many years, specifically Prophecy Girl, possibly because of the themes of dying young and accepting death. From there, I started to rewatch and found your podcast. I just wanted to let you guys know that following your journey through the series has been part of my grieving process and just wanted to say thank you for that. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. Um, Esme, that... Thank you so much for sharing that. I read that when you shared it on Instagram and I, I, I related so much to what Esme is saying about grief and how this show handles grief and how this yeah. show can 
help you make connections to the mm-hmm. lingering feelings around regret and forgiveness and final conversations. I'm very much, I do what Esme does where I have anxiety around that last conversation because I've lost my mother and what was our last conversation and what did it mean? That's what I'm going to carry with me for the rest of my life. So you writing this in, open that up for me. This episode, I went into it with this mindset, knowing what you had shared and how I also could relate to it. And I totally see what you're saying. So thank you so much. And um, I know that this show can open up these doors of grief and help people explore it in a lot of different ways. And I think that's why we love it so much. This is why this show is a 10 and a 10. <laughs> this is why this show matters. This is why it's a, an important show for a lot of people. And uh, I think this hot steak really sums that up. Mm-hmm. All right. So our final two hot steaks are on the topic of basically like Cordelia, Willow, Xander, the weirdness among these three characters um, we, we've had several people write in. We're going to kind of focus on, on two specific pieces of feedback here, but a lot of people have written in with various thoughts. Uh, some people agreeing with us, some people disagreeing and basically saying, you know, we think that you're not being harsh enough on Cordy, or we've had a couple of people who are like, you're not being harsh enough on Willow. Like, like it, it, it runs the gamut. And I, th- I think it's so interesting that this particular dynamic um, is clearly very important to a lot of fans. So previously, you were giving Willow some criticism here about how <laughs> yep. she was trash-talking Cordelia and Cordelia's relationship with Xander. And it broke your heart to do so because we both love Willow, but mm-hmm. we wanted to be critical of her. And several people have kind of pointed out, right, like the show... Um, maybe hasn't done the best job of completely redeeming Cordelia for being a bully for such a long period of time in Xander and Willow's life. And I get that. I I, I think that that's on the writers, right? Like, you know, I don't think you and I are trying to excuse that. I think it's more just like, we don't have anything to work with here. Like the writers <laughs> dropped the ball on that. I'm not going to deny it. Like that's a totally mm-hmm. valid point. But like, we can only work with what we're seeing here. And what we're seeing yeah. is like Cordy and Willow are super chummy in some of these scenes. Yes. Um, yeah. But so we, we've got Sophia who's saying, you know, I think there's a layer of betrayal to what Willow's feeling more than just rejection as, as like Xander not wanting her. Um, and Sophia says, you know, uh, Willow was hurt when Xander was interested in Buffy or in Ampata, the mummy girl. Uh, but you know, she didn't really show the same reaction to how she was hurt with Cordelia. So I I, I think it's from Sophia's perspective here, it's the fact that Cordelia and Willow have that past, right? And and that's a that's a good point. I I, I think it's good for us to remember that. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so similarly, uh Charlie wanted to talk about how, you know, it, it's disrespectful of Xander to ignore and kind of set aside the trauma that Cordy has inflicted on him and his best friend for their entire life. He's happy to ignore the fact that his best friend has been so tormented by this person that she's afraid to let new kids talk to her for fear of their well-being because now Cordy is a potential sexual partner. Personally, I can't ever imagine seeking that type of relationship with someone who would hurt my best friend in that way. Uh, And they go on to talk about how you know, Cordelia really hasn't done anything to make amends with Willow. 
So again, another valid observation, but I just, the only thing I can think is, yeah, like you and I pointed that this out earlier, the writers just haven't done anything about it. And that's just another one of those things where it's like, Cordelia was a very different person in season one. Yes. And maybe we haven't really seen that transition realized as fully as we should. Well, we also haven't seen their whole 16 years of Cordelia being a bully. They allude to it. But because we're with Xander and Willow so much, we only see them shit talking her more than we see her yeah. bullying them. Well, what confuses me really is Willow being harsh on Cordelia, but then being chummy with her. Yeah. Right? right? Like we saw in yeah. phases. That was what really got me and kind of what I wanted to focus on in our commentary was I don't see that part being justified. <laughs> I totally get Willow being harsh on Cordy, but you're being harsh on Cordy and then you're hanging out with her and talking about boys. It's like kind of snaky. <laughs> there's this inconsistency here. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to lay a lot of it on the writer's feet. Um, because I think this is a, a mistake on the show's part. But yeah, that's that's kind of all I've got to say about that. Um, a couple of people have brought up that like Cordelia has never apologized for her treatment of these two over the last 16 years. And I was like, yeah, but like no one in the show apologizes to anybody, if you notice. This is true. They are really bad at apologies. <laughs> and also, does that happen in real life? I feel like if they had that happen on a TV show, it would feel very like like um forced. forced right like i'm so sorry i bullied you please be my friend now um, maybe we need to do a cordelia on trial i don't know my other thing with cordy though and this is from day one like the harvest right mm -hmm. cordelia suffers on this show yeah she's she bullied them yeah. and i assume she's been bullying them for a long time but cordelia suffers she's been in countless rape scenes she has been kidnapped She's getting yeah. punished. It's not like she just bullies them, then like, do-do-do, mm. I'm off to be beautiful. Like, I feel like the show takes it out on her in a lot of ways. Maybe we do have to do Cordelia on trial. <laughs> Write into us, listeners. If you want that bonus episode, we will talk further about Cordelia. Thank you. This, this was a hard episode for me to talk about for a lot of reasons. Um, it's so intense. I think it's one of the most intense episodes of season two. I know we've got one or two more coming that are similar in their level of intensity but it's still love talking about it with you Stephanie. i love talking about this with you too and uh thank you everybody for writing in and sharing these thoughtful hot stakes with us and thank you for making this a safe space for everybody bye everyone bye Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.